Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. I said yesterday that if the NBA playoffs had a slogan, that slogan would be the following. Whatever can go wrong will go wrong. Let me update that. After watching the last two days of games, that slogan could now be updated to whatever can go wrong will go wrong and nobody knows Jack. Because yesterday really was one of the most insane days ever in the association. And that's before we even get to the games. The first game had a 26-point choke job by one team. The second game had a Clippers team defying the odds, history, and fate to go on the road and get a win in Utah without Kawhi. Without Kawhi Leonard. I repeat, nobody knows Jack. Clippers. Why don't we talk about that for a minute? They were tied up at two games apiece with Kawhi Leonard. They had been down 2-0 in this series, and they had to fight for everything to get back into that series with Kawhi Leonard. And Kawhi was playing out his ass, too. So the hell were they actually going to do to stay in that series now that Kawhi is looking at a knee injury that could be an actual ACL? That series was over, right? I know the Jazz were playing without Mike Conley Jr. I know the Jazz have Donovan Mitchell all busted up. But there was no way the Clippers, sketchy as the Clippers are, could stay in this fight without Kawhi, right? Not on the road. Not in a barn that hostile. Not with all the blood in the water. No chance, right? And the reason for that is, I mean, really, the question isn't about Kawhi. The question is about Paul George. It always is. Would he show up? How would he handle being the man in this series? Is there any way Paul George could pull a Kevin Durant and tell his guys, yo, get the hell on my back. I got this. Or is he just not anywhere near that class of player? Not anywhere near that clutch. In other words, what were we going to get last night? Playoff P or more likely and almost guaranteed pandemic P. Turns out, we got playoff P. Never good when you self-gloss, right? Even worse when you self-gloss with a horrible nickname like Playoff P. Does it get any lamer than that? The zookeeper, shot callers, and crystal methodist can't believe how terrible Playoff P is as a nickname. And for years, everybody who followed basketball could not believe how terrible Pandemic P was in the clutch. Not last night, though. This dude was electric. He was exactly what he claimed to be in the past. He got that team on his back. He actually carried that team. For once, he actually did live up to all the self-hype. And then when he did gas late in the game, Reggie Jackson was there to pick him up. So was Nick Batum. After yesterday's shoot-around, when the team knew that Kawhi would not be able to go, George reportedly told Ty Luna's teammates, quote, I got us. Quote, I got us. Normally, there is nothing more frightening and honestly less believable than Paul George saying, I got us, before a playoff game. Yeah, sure you don't, pandemic. Like, you'd rather hear, I'm from the IRS We need to talk about your taxes. Or you'd rather hear your significant others say, we need to talk, than hear Paul George say, I got us, before a playoff game. 
because history has shown that Paul George saying, I got us, before a big game, means that passes are going to be chucked into the 10th row, the ball is going to be turned over, and backboards will be broken from the side. It's the side of the backboard. Not last night, though. Not last night. This dude was beasting. This dude was clutching the hell up. This dude was getting it done on the biggest stage with their season on the line. And frankly, his legacy as well. And when they needed it most, and it seemed unlikely as hell, this guy shows the hell out. 37, 16, and 5. I'm not going to go as far as to say that it was Kevin Durant-esque, because it wasn't. But it was Kevin durant light. It was Kevin Durant-adjacent. It was a guy playing without an all-star teammate and carrying his team to a win on the road in a really hostile barn with all of those questions about him, about his grit, about his character, about his heart, all of that swirling around him. And again, I know the Jazz are banged up. I know they haven't had Mike Conley. I know Donovan Mitchell is not right. I just don't care. I don't care because the Clippers didn't have Kawhi. And they knew, the Jazz knew that George was going to have to be the focal point and they still couldn't do a damn thing to slow this guy down. They knew he was going to try to carry the Clippers last night and they still couldn't stop it. Honestly, they couldn't stop anything. So, Jazz fan, if you're not worried, either you're not paying attention or you don't know what the hell you're talking about. I'm not saying you're dead. I'm saying you've got a problem. You've got a problem, and that problem is a reborn PG. And again, when it was not PG, it was Reggie Jackson. Out on the floor. Jackson. Jumper. Buckets. Woo! Reggie Jackson, a contested jack. Ty Lue said it. He is not afraid of the moment, and does he deliver on that one? Oh, no. This dude was not afraid. That was Reggie Jackson. The straw that stirs the drink. Hang George makes his move. Corner. Morris find the open man. Reggie Jackson. Jackson. Got a three. Jackson. A deep shot. Jackson. It's Reggie Jackson, quote, sometimes not even understanding the magnitude of me. Man, 44 back in the day. Reggie Jackson had some amazing quotes. Like not being able to understand the magnitude of me. The straw that stirs the drink in New York. Man, and all true. Yeah, and how about Terrence Mann? How about this cat? Hookers up by four, low dribble. George throws a crowd. Mann doesn't take the three. Drives it. Oh, he finishes! Terrence Mann puts it down. Literally a man's chance for L.A. <laughs> Literally. Once again, I've got no dog in this fight. I can't lie. I don't care who wins. I don't care who loses. But that got me off my couch. That play got me off my damn couch. That is the absolute definition of a man's game in so many different ways. To go that hard into the paint against the three-time defensive player of the year. Man, that is brass. To finish that dunk and to do it on the stifle tower, the stifle tower, brass as hell. That was the defining play of the night for the Clippers. They knew they were undermanned. They knew they were on the road. They knew they had to have a giant brass set. And there was nothing more brass than man attacking the rack with Gobert back there protecting. He damn near gives up a foot to this guy. I mean, look, we are talking about the Clippers. And the Clippers are a trip, right? They did choke away a 3-1 series lead last year. They have fallen behind 2-0 twice this year. 
Except last night, they were the anti-heart, anti-grit, anti-clutch crew. There was so much more pretender than contender. So disappointing. I'm not saying that last night completely changes that narrative. I'm not saying they've arrived. I'm not saying they've figured it all out. I'm not saying that they're going to break Utah's face in Game 6 and hit the conference finals for the first time. I'm not saying I trust these guys, because I don't. What I'm saying is, that was badass. That was a badass performance, and they showed everything that they haven't been in recent years. Gritty, clutch, and brass as hell. And it started with pandemic P going playoff P. And I'd be lying if I thought that was going to happen. I'm not a felon, but I would be a liar if I said that I saw that coming. I did not. So tip your hat to a team and a few guys who have been much maligned. They manned the hell up. It was impressive as hell. I guess what I'm saying is turn up, love you guys, Awesome. Turn up. Love you guys. Awesome. Kind of have to go back to the old famous Iron Mike saying, right? The Jazz had a plan. Then the Clippers punched them in the face, which would be an understatement. That'd be like the Jazz were, I don't know, Jeff Hornacek and the Clippers went stackhouse on them. Two on one, Hornacek. Wild, man. That's some old school association right there. Yeah, they say. We've talked about this before so many times. In the NBA, and what do I know? Because I never played in the NBA. But in the NBA, they know who will go. And they know who won't. They know who will go and they know who will front. They know who is a legitimate tough guy and they know who's a fake tough guy. Stack, back in the day, clearly proved that he would go. It's a fight, so whatever happens, happens. Right. I like horny. I like stack. This is a metaphor for your business's journey. Sometimes it feels like you're going 100 miles an hour, barely keeping up. But to cruise through challenges, you need someone who's right there with you. That's what Dell Technologies advisors do. They have the tech advice you need to get past whatever's in front of you and get to where you want to go. For advice on solutions like XPS 13 laptops powered by Intel Evo Platform, call an advisor today at 877-ASK-DELL. Ben Golliver. Ben, it's great to have you back. Ben, how are you feeling? Oh, it's great to be back, Jim. I'm here in Milwaukee. You know, before this Bucks net series, everybody said, hey, maybe it's going to be like a finals preview. I tell you what, this has felt like a finals with the momentum swings back and forth. Katie has that unbelievable uh, Game 5 in Brooklyn the other night. And then I think it just kind of got buried in just a wave of crazy NBA news yesterday. So my head has been spinning both from great basketball and, and all sorts of transactional news, too. This is exactly why I called you, Ben, to get into all of that, because the basketball has been wild, the transactional news as well. Since you are in Milwaukee and you started right there, let me get your thoughts first about Kevin Durant. Take me back to Game 5. What did you make of what you saw from Kevin Durant in that game? Well, best game that I've ever seen him play, flat out, period, full stop. You know, I don't think you have to qualify it at all. You know, he was very cagey afterwards. He didn't want to try to rank it against any of his other performances. He had a really nice 43-point game in the finals against LeBron. He had a career-high 50 in the playoffs against the Clippers, uh, you know, in 2019. But it was just the level of mastery 
I mean, he goes all 48 minutes. He's playing hard the entire way. He's got James Harden basically on one leg, you know, giving it the best that he can. And in all of the biggest moments, it was either Kevin hitting shots, Kevin making defensive plays like that steal on Giannis late, uh, or Kevin making really smart passes. And I think to me, that was the biggest doubt I had going into game five. We've never seen Kevin Durant as this point-forward type of guy. He has never really been in that LeBron mold. But with Harden limited and Kyrie out, he's got to do a lot of the ball handling and the playmaking for his teammates. And he got a really nice boost from Jeff Green hitting all those three-pointers to kind of help uh, them you know, dig out of a 17-point hole. But it was just a phenomenal all-around effort. And I don't know about you, I mean, my mind was flashing back to when he was injured in the 2019 Finals and how sad that was and we're wondering, does this alter his career? Is he ever going to be able to get back to this sort of peak version that we saw at this point? And let me tell you, you score 49 points and play 48 minutes, and you've got your big rival Giannis telling everybody after the game that you're the best player in the world. I don't think it gets much better than that. No, Ben, I, I can answer your question. That's exactly what I was thinking. In fact, I'm still in awe of it. That's an injury, as you know, as we all know, that can end careers, alter careers, change careers make things irreparably damaged. I, I can't believe that he came back the way he has and played that game. You know, really quickly, Ben, to that point, he not only played all 48 minutes in Game 5. To your point, he had to do everything on both ends. Maybe it's hard to quantify or predict, but if you had to guess, do you think there will be any repercussions from having to lay out what he laid out for as long as he did in that game tonight? Well, I'm telling you what, I think I'm probably going back to Brooklyn for Game 7 uh, later this week because you've got not only KD playing 48, you had Harden play 46 minutes, Jim. Now, granted, he's not running around all over the court. He was playing kind of defensively with his body, trying not to do too much, settling for a lot of jumpers, you know, not working super hard laterally on defense. And just, you know, if you have to give up some points here and there to protect your, your hamstring, you do it. I understand that calculation. But still, that's a massive workload. And, you know, the Bucks have been ramping up the minutes for their stars a little bit, but not to that same level. And they only had one day off here, and they had to travel. So to me, I am looking for Milwaukee to have the advantage in Game 6. They played very well at home in Game 4. They won an ugly game at home in Game 3. And the Bucks fans, they really caught their swagger. And they were a little bit nervous after the Bucks were down 2-0. But when they evened that series 2-2, you know, they were they were loud in that building, and I think that they're going to be back, uh, you know, hoping to even this series. And, and the environment stuff here during these playoffs, I want to make this point, it really matters. I mean, these do feel like traditional playoff games. We have kind of entered outside of that, like, phase pandemic situation where the buildings were only half full or a quarter full. I mean, these buildings are really, really loud. They're stacked to the gills with fans, and people are loving it. And uh, it just contributes to the atmosphere and, and the showcase that we're getting here from KD and Giannis. It's a really good point. I thought the same thing last night. Even though the Clippers got over on the road, I thought the same thing in watching 18,000 at Salt Lake City. Ben Golver, my guest. Ben, what about Giannis? Like, there's no denying how great Giannis is, and he still had that 34-point double-double. But when you see his team blow a big lead against a wounded Nets team, does it impact the way you view Giannis? Not really, but I was raising my eyebrows at his comments calling KD the best player in the world and going on at length about how difficult it is to stop him. You know, I almost uh, wanted to like pop into that Zoom call and be like, hey, Giannis, enough is enough, man. you got to go play this guy on uh, Thursday night. Don't get carried away here. I mean, you're in this conversation for the best player in the world, too. I mean, uh, give yourself some credit. Uh, you know, I just wonder psychologically if, uh, if KD got into their head a little bit with how dominant he was. You know, you look down the stretch, it was a lot of mistakes from the Milwaukee Bucks. If they go out in six and they kind of peter out in the fourth quarter again tonight, I think that's going to wind up leading to a coaching change because you just see these situations over and over and over again when they need to execute 
They struggle to get good shots. They don't know exactly where they want to go with the basketball. And that often leads to Giannis kind of being the bailout guy. And we know he's not the best free throw shooter. He's not the best three-point shooter. Um, and in those late-game situations, you know, sometimes it's not always the best shots for them. So they had much better flow as a team in Game 4 uh, down the stretch than they did in Game 5, and they're going to try to get back to that. Uh, you know, to me, though, uh, look, there's no shame in losing to Kevin Durant when he puts up 49 points in 48 minutes, right? Like, I don't necessarily hold that against Giannis, but I do think he's got something to prove here, and he needs to punch back. Ben Culver is joining us. All right, Ben, what about the Atlanta Hawks? Like, when they made their coaching change, I mean, was there any thinking in your mind that that could somehow lead them to be in a position where they are right now, one game from the conference finals? Well, I mean, think about the previous coaching change, Jim. When right. Mike Budenholzer leaves Atlanta to go to Milwaukee, did we ever think that Atlanta could be in the conference finals this year and Milwaukee could potentially be going out in the second round? I certainly never did. It seemed like a huge upgrade for Coach Bud. And uh, you turn back around and Trey Young is just playing sensational basketball and leading the Hawks. What I love about Atlanta, and I think Clint Capella says something along these lines, they sort of have painted Philly almost like a first-half team, right? You just wait till Embiid gets fatigued down the stretch. You wait till the pressure tightens on guys like Simmons, who doesn't want to be on the free-throw line, who can't space the core with his shooting, and you just keep doing what you do well, and there's a chance, no matter you know how big the lead gets from Philly's standpoint, that you're going to be able to launch a comeback. They've done it multiple times in this series. They did it again last night. You just never count out this Hawks team, in part because you, know, you can't uh, ever rely on Philly to get it done late. I thought it was an absolute mess of a second half for them. They only had two guys who made baskets in the right. second half, Seth Curry and Joel Embiid, and Simmons 4-for-14 four from the free-throw line. You know, he's always been ducking these critiques, Jim. You know, he's one of these guys who kind of wants to you know, stay above the noise on a lot of this stuff, and I almost want to scream at him, get back in the gym, get working on these flaws, because he has not improved as an offensive player at all since he's reached the NBA, and it comes back to bite them in the playoffs every single year. Ben Culver joining us. Extremely well said. I agree with you. So what about the Clippers, right? They take on the Jazz in Salt Lake City. Ben, they've got to go there without Kawhi Leonard. Going into the game, I had a certain level of expectations, and they were not very high for the Clippers, and I was all (laughs) wrong about that. How did you see that game playing out before the ball went up? Well, look, whoever bet on the Clippers last night, Jim, probably made a lot of money, right? Because I, I was right there with you. I wrote them off. I said, look, they don't have Kawhi, who has been carrying them for, throughout this playoffs. I mean, 30 points per game, a lot of really important defensive possessions on key star players late in games. He's been the guy who's really been the difference for them. I thought they just played free and loose, no expectations. It obviously really opened up a much larger role for Paul George. And I do think it's kind of a takeaway. The partnership with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard has never been as seamless as like Anthony Davis and LeBron James. I mean, those guys hit the ground running for the Lakers, right? The Clippers, it was always a little bit of my turn, your turn. I think people tend to walk on eggshells around Kawhi Leonard a little bit because you don't always know what he's thinking and because he does dominate the basketball a lot, so people tend to defer. And I think what we saw from Paul George is like you didn't have to do any of that stuff. You keep the ball moving. You make sure the three-point shooters get going. You know, Morris, Reggie Jackson, Nicholas Batum all contributing. And then Paul George kind of just gets to freelance with a lot of space and do his thing. They took it right to Utah. I was very disappointed in the Utah Jazz last night. Uh, you know, Donovan Mitchell, who had a great start to the series, needed to be better and more impactful offensive player. I'm sure he's being limited at least somewhat by his health. And then other than Bojan Bogdanovic, who else stepped up uh, for the Jazz? And then in crucial moments, the ball kept going uh, to Royce O'Neal for some of these big shots in the fourth quarter. That's where the Clippers want the ball to go to, right? They want your fifth option trying to beat you. 
And I think Utah just couldn't get in situations where their main guys had the basketball, and that's a problem. They've had great coaching all year from Quinn Snyder, and I just thought they didn't really live up to that standard uh, in Game 5 last night. That's why they're staring at elimination. Well, right, and then there's a reason why he's open, to your point. Right. And they want the ball going to him, and that's exactly why that goes. Hey, ben, to your point at the very top, there's so many news items also. What about the fact that Stan Van Gundy is out after one year, Scott Brooks is moving on? What are some of your reactions to some of the news that went down aside from the games themselves? Well, look, if you had bad news, you need to tell the public, Jim, yesterday was the day to right. do it. You know, everybody saw that Chris Paul and Kawhi Leonard headline. It was like, all right, rush this news out. Let's get the uh, press releases flowing. I thought from Stan Van Gundy, he never really connected to his young stars, in my opinion. You know, Brandon Ingram wasn't playing hard enough all season long, especially on the defensive end. He got his stats because he's a talented player. But that commitment, that buy-in was just never there. I know Stan Van Gundy tried to push a lot of buttons, you know, trying to motivate him at different points of the season. I just don't think it works. And the clock's ticking on Zion, too. I mean, look, the number one pick, I'm the fresh guy in town, you know, here we are to kind of save the day after Anthony Davis. That era is over. Like, it's time for Zion to start winning. Some of the moves by the front office to surround him with talent have not really worked out very well. And I'm not sure, you know, Stan Van Gundy necessarily connected with him as well. Uh, Maybe there's just a generational gap. I don't know what you want to chalk it up to. But they were one of the biggest disappointing teams of the season. And so I think a coaching change was warranted there. And then you look at Washington with Scott Brooks. I mean, I think the writing was on the wall there. You look at the size of his contract coming into this season. It was a very similar situation to Mike D'Antoni in Houston last year or Billy Donovan in Oklahoma City last year where, you know, I think the ownership groups are just saying, hey, look, we can't pay premium prices for, uh, for coaches, uh, you know, in this pandemic economy and with teams that really aren't going to be competing for titles. Finally, Ben, what do you make of LeBron posting a series of tweets laying out that he had been concerned about injuries all year long because the offseason was so short? You were in the bubble. You know the toll that it took on everybody. How much of the injuries that we're seeing would be attributed to the short offseason and the condensed regular season? And is he warranting what he says? Well, look, first of all, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with LeBron. I mean, I think a lot of people who were in the bubble, players and everybody else, were definitely feeling a fatigue, a hangover, and like a real you know, rush back into this season. There's kind of no question about it. It doesn't surprise me at all that the final four teams that were in uh, the bubble last year, uh, Boston, Miami, Denver, and the Lakers, all went out early and all dealt with either health protocol issues or serious injuries you know, during this season. I just don't think that's a coincidence. Now, the NBA has pushed back and say, hey, look, the injury rate is pretty similar this year compared to last year. And my counter to that would be, to Jim, would be it's still too high. It was too high last year and it's too high this year because you look at every single one of these series, they're being impacted by major injuries to star-level guys. And so the NBA was just in a tough spot. They needed to generate as much revenue as possible. They needed to be on Christmas. They wanted to be done before the Olympics. They wanted to get their playoff window back to where, like, they're the featured television product and they didn't have to compete with anybody else. So this was always going to be the bite the bullet season. I just think it's kind of funny, Jim. Like, LeBron's message at the beginning of the season was like, this is kind of unfair to the Lakers. It's such a quick turnaround. Now his message is, you know, my heart bleeds for all my fellow players. And I just I sense a a shift or maybe, you know, he's kind of capitalizing here on this moment to kind of drive home the fact that he wanted it a different way than it wound up playing out. He is a national NBA writer for the Washington Post, host of Greatest of All Talk, an NBA show, good friend of the program, and his book is out, Bubble Ball. Ben Golver, my guest. Ben, great job. Really good to have you on. Thank you so much. Appreciate you, as always.
Oh, it's my pleasure, Jim. Take care, man. Hey, clones, what do we want when we are craving protein or we need more energy? Not bars or sugary snacks, not even energy drinks, no. You know what we want? Beef, pure and simple. So where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper Beef Jerky. Old Trapper is not your old man's jerky. Shriveled, dry, tasteless. Old Trapper Beef Jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. It's tender, it's tasty, it's not tough. And why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for their relentless commitment to quality. They take smoked beef extremely seriously. You can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein. It comes in four amazing flavors to satisfy all your cravings. Look for it in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you do not see it, just ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Oh, Trapper, what's your beef? What part of last night's Hawks-Sixers game was more insane? Atlanta coming from 26 down to win or Philly coming from 26 up to choke and lose? Let's go ahead and call that a tie because that was both an epic comeback and an epic tank job. I want to say that both were equally unbelievable, but because you know me, I'm here to celebrate and not hate. So I'm going to do just that. And I'm going to hype the hell out of the Hawks. I'm going to give it up to Trey Young, who continues to be a freaking star in these playoffs. He had 39. I'm going to celebrate Lemon Pepper Lou Williams, who changed that game. Philly was up 62-40 at halftime. Such a blowout that the Sixers' official Twitter account tweeted a pic of Clint Capella defending Joel Embiid with the caption, quote, is this when you're supposed to feel tired? With a yawn emoji. Remember that. Remember that, and then remember this. The Hawks were down 21 when Williams entered that game in the third quarter. He never left the game, and he completely changed the whole damn thing. Here's a montage from Atlanta's Twitter account. Atlanta's had a great surge here, into the third, on into the fourth. Luan has been right in the middle of it all, and Williams adds to it. Game five effort from round one, which is a career high for the playoffs. There is Lou Williams, the little runner is good in the lane. Lou Williams keeps it rolling. Lou Williams, a little mid-range jumper. It is a 12-point game. Lou Williams feeling it. Oh, my goodness, rattles one home from long range. I'm telling you about this guy, Lewis Tyrone Williams, and he just went legend doing Lewis Tyrone Williams things, just torching dudes the way he has his entire career and making it look easy. Like I cannot say enough about how much grit this Hawks team is showing and how little grit this Sixers team is showing. They look like they had been knocked the hell out, Atlanta, cold cocked mouthpiece flying into the 10th row, asleep before they even hit the canvas. The ref didn't even bother counting because the ref thought the fighter was dead. The ref was waving frantically for the medics to come in, like dead. But we should have known better with the Hawks. They're not built to quit. And Nate McMillan's message to the team at halftime was actually pretty simple. Well, it's 48 minutes on that clock, you know, and, and pretty much the conversation was, uh, we've been here before. You know, we've been here before, down big at the half. Uh, it's the second half. We need to uh, come out with that energy, that urgency. Uh, we, we know what we need to do, and uh, we need to do it in a hurry. And they did. 
And that's what was so impressive about that. Not only are they back in this series, they're in the driver's seat. They've got a 3-2 lead, headed back home, and they can close this thing out and advance to the conference finals. I understand that everything's wide-ass open, but the Hawks in the conference finals. You want to talk about running ahead of schedule. They have ripped up the damn schedule. They're writing their own. All right, so you know me. I'm not here to hate. I'm here to celebrate. That's the Hawks side of things. Then you've got the Philly side of things, and that side is ugly. Man, really ugly. Nothing but respect and credit to Atlanta for coming back the way they did, but they had lots of help, yo. Lots of help. It takes two teams to engineer a comeback like that, and the Sixers were more than willing to help. One to rip it and one to stop playing, and that's what the Sixers did. Atlanta didn't just have a ton of confidence in themselves. They had a ton of confidence in themselves. They had a ton of confidence that the Sixers were going to help them. In other words, punch them in the mouth and then watch Philly abandon the fight and just shut down. Why do I say that? It's not like we haven't seen that from the Sixers before. It's not like we didn't see that from the Sixers the game before. Again, I'm really careful about using the word choke because it pretty much is a reason to go. It's one of the all-time brutal terms to use in sports. I'm really careful about saying a team choked or a team quit or a guy quit. Because once you put that out there, you can't take it back. And it sticks. All right, so I think really hard before I say something like that. But Philly choked. Philly choked that game away last night. And they may have choked away the entire series in the process. I mean, do you know how bad you have to be to blow a lead to a sports team from Atlanta? Right? The Sixers just went Falcon Super Bowl on the Hawks. And they've done it two games in a row. But you don't need me to tell you that. In fact, per always, if you don't want to take my word for it or I'm not credible enough, let me find somebody else who's more credible. I'm good like that. I'll let Magic Johnson, one of the greatest to ever step on the court and definitely the greatest to ever log into Twitter, do it for me. Irv, and I quote, The Sixers shot poorly from the free throw line and the field, including superstars Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. End of tweet. Bam! Dude, just light Twitter on fire. Irv is even better on Twitter than Irv ever was on the floor. And he was one of the greatest ever on the floor. But he's even better as a troll than he was as a point. I'm on to you, dude. I see what you're doing with your Twitter game, Irv. The dumber the tweet, the greater the engagement. Man, you are brilliant. Respect, Irv. Respect. Here's another pretty sickening detail if you're a Sixer fan. Tom Haberstrow pointed this out on Twitter. Quote, Joel Embiid and Seth Curry were the only Sixers to make a basket in the second half. Like, how's that possible? Mathematically. How's that possible even schematically? Nobody else stumbled into a layup or a putback or an ill-advised mid-range jumper or some prayer with the shot clock running down? The answer is no. Nobody. Just Joe and Seth. 
That means nothing from Tobias Harris, nothing from Ben Simmons. And I know Ben is going to wear most of that, and he should wear a ton of that, but it's not all on him. I mean, there's something really off with his shooting, and it sure feels like it's mental at this point. But last night's choke job was not all on him. It was a team-wide effort. No, no. Make it an organization-wide effort. Anybody and everybody pulling a paycheck from the Sixers should accept some of the blame in that meltdown. Because that can't happen. That just can't happen, and it just did. So you got to question everybody and everything. Ben Simmons, Doc Rivers, Tobias Harris, the dude slinging hot dogs and beers, everybody. Because instead of slamming horse crap Sandos in celebration in the streets, they're all eating dog crap Sandos in implosion. I mean, I could go on. Look at these numbers. Philadelphia became the first team to lose back-to-back 18-point leads in the last 25 years. At one point in that game, they had a win-probable percentage of 99-7, and they still lost. And it is brutal to watch. Brutal. Not just the way they blew a 26-point lead last night and lost. It's that they blew an 18-point lead the game before, and they lost. That series should be over already. Finish off the 18-point lead in Game 4. Wrap up the 26-point lead last night, and you're getting ready for the winner of Nets and Bucks. Not only is it not over, you're down three games to two. You've got massive scar tissue from last night, and now you've got to find a way to turn it around and win two straight. And you've got to go on the road. And so when it was over, the Hawks' Twitter account fired off a pair of glorious tweets. There was the one with three yawning emojis. Then they went with another classic that you can look up. Call an ambulance, but not for me. One of the best team social media accounts in the game coming off that epic game. That choke was a total team effort from Philly. That comeback was a total team effort from Atlanta. From the players to the Twitter feed. Take a bow, man. Take a bow. And Sixer fan, I got to say, at this point, it is virtually impossible to trust that process. Trust the process? Hey, you want to hear something incredible? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year automatically and with no limit on how much you can earn. Now, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing because of all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards, that's where. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2021 Nielsen Report. Limitations do apply. A player profile, the smack-off, is a week from Friday. Eight days, six shows. You're up to the minute smack-off countdown clock. Or what's left of it. By now you know. I'm looking for RSVPs. We just got one from Caleb. I'm looking to hand out golden tickets. I'm looking to shred some in the blades of the chopper. I'm looking for you to still send me your predictions. Like the chicken man just did. Smack off videos at gmail.com. Send them 20 seconds or less. Keep it clean. I'm looking to finish profiling the field. Let's go ahead and do that. Today, we're focusing on one of the most bizarre callers in the history of the jungle. If weird is good, then this guy's amazing. You already know who I'm talking about. 
Talking about Jeff in Southfield, of course. Jeff in Southfield. The passive listener goes back with the show to the 90s. But Jeff in Southfield, the frequent caller, is very new to the jungle, if that makes sense. He just started calling the show a little over two years ago, but he made, without a doubt, the best and most memorable first-time phone call that I've ever heard on this show. Here it is in part. Hey, Mike and Indy, in your smack-off call, you dubbed yourself the undisputed silverback of the jungle. Who you kidding, fool? We all know the accurate color of your back is extra pale, pasty white. Your back is whiter than Jeff Van Gundy's ghost. And your neck is redder than Caleb's face when his parents bust into his room and catch him getting excited about Boston chicken. Remember, Rachel, Rachel, shave your back. It turns out Rachel didn't shave her back. She shaved off the first two letters of her name and became Chill the MMA fighter. Sorry, Mike, that bromance you thought you were having is really just an ugly chick. You know who I'm not going to crack at, Jim? Henry Winkler. Jim, Fonzie is the first clone ever. He was a clone before you were even born. The character Fonzie on Happy Days was an adult male, aged somewhere between 30 and 45, not married, no kids, and living in the spare bedroom of a suburban family's home. Now that's a clone if ever there was one, Jim. I wonder if Fonz's full name was Arthur Caleb Fonzarelli. Jim, while my respect for the Fonz as a clone has skyrocketed, my respect for the notion of the TV character Fonzie as a ladies' man has plummeted. No wonder he never got a second date with Pinky Tuscadero. Turns out his hopes of scoring with her got Malachi crunched between two realities. One, he doesn't have enough money to take her anywhere better than Arnold's. And two, the bed he wanted to take her to is in the spare bedroom of Mr. and Mrs. Cunningham's house. Like, (laughs) that call had my mind melted and my head spinning for weeks. It still actually does. Luckily, it was the first of many calls that Jeff and Southfield has made since then, and each one progressively more weird than the one before it. This guy's done the smack-off length regular season phone calls on... American Cheese, Square Dancing, Bacon Bits, just to name a few. It's why Benny and Wisco is heard asking in the Smack Off promo, quote, does Jeff just look around his apartment and start talking about every random object that he sees? It's an awesome question. And the answer is probably yes. Here is part of Jeff's 2020 Smack Off 26 call. Hey, Sean, I'm not saying you're pasty white. I'm just saying, if Jeff Van Gundy had a child with Sissy Spacek, that kid would make fun of you. If Dracula needs blood and he comes across you, he'll keep on walking. From a galaxy far, far away, Yoda. If owned by Caleb and Green Bay, the Golden State Warriors were, then called the Golden Corral Warriors, they would be. Thank you, Yoda. Jim, the reason Mark in Boston's so angry is because in response to his Jim Harbaugh tattoo, his wife tattooed her inner thigh with Chris Webber calling time out. Yo, Mikey De La Chicken, way to call in zero times this year, you coward. Jim, let me translate that into Mike's natural dialect. I'm telling you, man, this dude, he's <laughs> hes only been in two smack-offs and has not hit the board in either one of them, so it does beg the question. As awesome as he is, 
is Jeff just too weird for the big stage? Not the big stage, because he's shown up on the big stage here before and just murdered it. But is he too weird for the main event? Personally, I don't think so. I don't think so at all. And I don't want to tell the artist how to do the art. But Jeff might benefit from a little bit of self-editing. But then again, so could pretty much everybody else who's doing five minutes of uninterrupted solo smack that day. You heard Jeff do a Yoda impression in that phone call. That's not a surprise. Impressions, good impressions, is exactly where Jeff lives. Jim, I went to the internet, Jim, and your podcasts are awesome. Whatever, four-time Smackoff winner. I'm a 40-time guest host, and I have my own show. Ooh, you won five grand? I make five grand every time someone dunks at a Kings game. Of course, I'm not really Mike and Indy. I'm Rick in Buffalo! Vic! What's with that phony gangster accent? Hey, it's Vic in no care. Your snoring is disrespectful. You need to get yourself a zipper. Oh, I'm deceased comedian Mitch Hedberg. That's right, I'm talking to you from beyond the grave. But I'm not really Mitch Hedberg. I'm Jeff in Southfield. Hey, Mike and Indy. In your calls, you dub yourself the Don of the Midwest Mafia. Who you kidding, fool? You're not even the Don of Osmond. But of course, Jeff in Southfield is really Mike and Indy. Now the great thing about old Trapper is it won't cost you 30 pieces of silver, babe. Tramps like us, babe. Yo, Romeo, from reaching over trays and sell Block D to my job cleaning trays at Mickey D's. You're welcome. I don't know who that guy was the other day, pretended to be me. But it definitely was not me. That sounded like Mike and Indy. Mike and Indy pretended to be Jeff and Southfield is the only way Mike and Indy is going to even sniff a solo smack off title. Always a bridesmaid, eh, little Mikey? Secondarily, Roman. Brad and Corona, you are a cow. A soft, dumb, doe-eyed cow. Thirdarily, Roman. Left, you are the sketchiest, twitchiest individual in the jungle. You are like a sketchy little access deer poking his head up above the tree line so you can see if there are any predators. Well, there are predators, Laffy Taffy. Hey, Mom, I'm tired of you favoring my sister. You better buy me that toy I want, or I'll meet you in the basement, rip that makeup off your face, and make you eat it. This freaking dude. I mean, I'm trying hard to even describe what's going through my head or how I feel about this. Like, listening to Jeff and Southfield and his call is like dropping acid in wandering around Joshua Tree with the ghost of Mitch Hedberg if Mitch Hedberg were a clone. Except it's not that. You're actually dead-ass sober. It's 10 o'clock in the morning, you're at work, and the ghost of Mitch Hedberg is actually one of the best callers in jungle history. Like, this dude is crazy. This dude is incredible. I, I can't even believe the things that come out of this guy's mouth. Jeff. I'm not saying Big Daddy B-Cups is overweight. I'm just saying if Beaks was in the rock band, Led Zeppelin, their hit song, Stairway to Heaven, would be titled Stairway 
too difficult after watching how Keith does his job, and I believe I am qualified to be his replacement. Much like Keith, I can stand with my hands in my pockets doing nothing. Like Keith, I can make business casual clothing look like I'm wearing sweats. And like Keith, I am talented enough to push a print button and carry a piece of paper from one room to another. Hey, Cal in Vegas, remember these words. The reason gamblers say winner, winner, chicken dinner is because gamblers don't win enough to eat, stay. Hey, Wisconsin, you need to change your motto on Wisconsin to on our way to diabetes, Wisconsin, since you are. I'm a starving tiger for the title King of Smack. I mean, <laughs> I can't tell you what to expect from Jeff from Southfield come Friday. How could anybody know what to expect from Jeff and Southfield come Friday? How could anybody even venture a guess? Nobody knows. I only know it's going to be weird, and weird is good. And when it comes to this guy, weird is incredible. Jeff, my man. Let me just say this, and I want to be very clear about this, dude. Find a hard line. Find a hard line. Find a phone that plugs directly into a wall. Find a phone that will hold up its end of the deal. I know you will. With your delivery, your cadence, your concepts, the length of your calls, Matt, it's got to be crystal clear. It has to. I don't want anything getting lost in the translation. You're bringing so much to it, dude. Honestly, do not let bad tech wreck a great bit. Nobody can do what this guy can do. What this guy can do might not be good enough to win it. What this guy can do might be too weird to ever win it on the big day. I'm just here to tell you, nobody can do what that guy can do. That guy's skill set is totally different than anybody I've ever heard on this show. I've heard everything. I've seen everything. I've got great respect respect and admiration for a lot of it, for a ton of it, especially from the people good enough to bring it on that day. I'm just telling you, this dude is an outlier. He's an anomaly. I've never heard or seen anybody like this guy. Except, Jeff, I want to make sure that I can hear everything about you come that day. Get a phone that plugs directly into your wall. That does nothing other than call out, dial, connect. What do you think about this guy? Would you bet on this guy? Who you got? Do you think that he can deliver day of or is he just too freaking weird? Like, there's always going to be an amazing place for that guy on this show. He makes it better every single time. But does weird translate on that day, on that stage? It hasn't yet, but it's only been a small sample. All I know is that dude makes me laugh, and he says things that I can't even fathom. Like, I could sit around for the rest of my life and not even conjure up half the crap that comes flying out of his pie hole. Crazy, crazy takes and one-liners. And some of the best impressions ever. Like, if I were to say to that guy, here's the field. Give me an impression of everybody in the field. He could and would, and they'd be great. Where do you come out? Jeff and Southfield. Would you drop some money on him if you could? My man, see you in eight days. Just make sure it's on a hard line. That one was fun. Caleb. Caleb, what's going on? Not too much, Jim. What's going on with you, brother? Yo, usual stuff. It is smack-off season. Feels good. What's up? 
Well, I'm not going to make an elaborate RSVP like I've done in years past. Um, I listened to my player profile a couple weeks ago. I still can't believe some of the things you let me do on this program. Uh, I don't make myself laugh that often, but the Silence of the Lambs thing is just so ridiculous. Would you rack me? <laughs> I, I can't believe I got away with that one. Um, also, I'm calling from a landline this year, so hopefully the debacle that was last year's call won't happen again. Uh, I just wanted to mention a couple things. First, I know this has been out there for a little bit already, but we are having a watch party at the Lorelei on Webster in Green Bay. Clones, if any of you are within driving distance, make sure you swing by. I will make an appearance after my call. Dave's a great host. There's a lot of good food on the menu. The guy has so many beers on tap, kegs of stuff I've never even heard of, plus all your old favorites. Make sure you check it out. And, Dave, if you're listening, I'm not getting paid for this, so chip your boy off a Diet Coke or something. Uh, lastly, Jim, I did not have a close relationship with Trapper. We only exchanged maybe 15 text messages or so over the last couple years of his life. Uh, I tried to reach out with some positivity and encouragement when I knew he was having his cancer treatments. He would always take a couple weeks to get back to me, which I obviously understood, but he was very gracious to me when he didn't have to be. So I appreciated what little interaction we had, but I definitely wouldn't say I was friends with him. However, I do have one connection with him that most people don't. Whenever your staff puts together a segment of the best callers never to win the smack-off, it's always the same names. Jim and Fall River, Terrence and Sierra Madre, Trapper and Dana Point, and for whatever inexplicable reason, Caleb and Green Bay. So I'm calling next Friday, not just for myself, not just to bring a title back to town and be the first clone from Wisconsin to get a ring, but also to pay tribute to those select few who came before me who should have won a title but never did. I'll see you next week. 30 pieces of pizza on Wisconsin. My man, Caleb in Green Bay. See you next week. Good news about the Lorelei. Good news that you've got yourself a hard line. Logan Ryan is my guest. Logan, it's good to have you back. How are you? What's going on, Jim? Thanks for having me. It's good to have you. All right, so you're coming off your first year with the Giants. Let me start right there. Considering you are a New Jersey guy and you went to Rutgers, what was that first year with the Giants like, and how much did you enjoy that experience? Man, the first year was great, and honestly, it was it was a was a great experience. And it's crazy because we started off like one and seven, right? And I'm just I'm a winner. I'm used to winning. I work really hard to win, and I still was enjoying the time. I still enjoyed the process of turning that around and finishing a lot better than we started. And uh, you know, COVID was a weird year for everybody. It's a weird year. We missed the fans. I played in MetLife, you know, in college as Rutgers. We would play some games there. So um, not having any fans is definitely weird. But being close to family. Being able to be near the grand, uh, near my parents and the grandparents for my kids uh, definitely helped us through it a little better and made it a little more normal for me. Logan Ryan joining us. I think all that is really cool. I think something else that's cool is the fact that you effectively bet on yourself last year when you signed that one-year deal with the Giants. Then in December, you signed a three-year extension with the team. This is not easy to do. What's the contract then represent to you, and what's it mean to represent the Giants? The contract means a lot. I mean, listen, um, we're all very fortunate to make the money we make in this industry, and I don't think anybody is complaining complaining about that. I love football, and I love providing for my family. I take it really seriously, and like I said I put a lot of work in it. But, you know, the contract for me is about respect, and I just feel like I was in a tough free agency market with COVID. Um, like the stock market, a lot of things crashed, and my value went down tremendously overnight just because of, uh, what was going on in the world, and I didn't feel like that was completely right. So I wanted to take my time and, and sign at a place that believed in me and gave me an opportunity um, to prove it, gave me an opportunity to, to, to value what they see every day in practice, what they see in the community, and what they see ultimately on Sundays. 
And uh, I try to lead from the beginning of the week to the end of the week. I try to lead behind the scenes and front of the scenes. I wasn't afraid of that opportunity. And they rewarded me with a contract like they said they would if I, if I held up my end. So I was very grateful for that, very grateful for the organization, the Giants are a class act, truly one of the classiest organizations I've played for. We're talking to Logan Ryan. What I really like, Logan, about that response is the fact that you're talking about leadership and the fact you want to lead from the front. You were also saying recently that the young guys really want to learn and they really want to spend time with you. They want to pick your brain and that it's different from what a lot of people hear about young athletes today. How would you describe the young guys on your team and their mindset and the types of conversations you have with them? Yeah. That's a great question. I, I think um, I'm one of those. I'm one of those people that don't like the modern-day athlete, the, these guys coming out a lot of times. I feel like I'm one of those, like J. Cole said in a song, the middle child, where I feel like I'm kind of an old soul. And when I came in the league, it was like Brady who's still in the league. But it was like Vince Wilfork and Gerard Mayo. And it was really old locker room. There's a lot of vets. And they did it the old-school way. Dudes are still wearing baggy suits, you know? And uh, – I came and saw how they put in that work and what they were doing and competing for championships. And then, you know, now I'm in year nine in the NFL. I don't feel that old, but, you know, I guess to some standards I am. But I think guys are playing longer. Guys are taking care of their body more around the year. I'm one of those athletes who eats on diet all year, trains all year to play a little bit longer of a career than they used to. And I see these guys coming out, and I feel like they feel they're entitled. They feel like they don't want to – they want it right away. They want to transfer. They don't, they don't want to go through it the hard way. But, you know, on the Giants, man, we got guys on the team that want to learn, um, guys that, that I've encountered that want to become better, that want to ask those questions. Joe Judge sets the culture that you're going to put in the work. You're not going to make excuses. So that's already set. So especially guys in my, in my room, um, Xavier McKinney, Darnay Holmes, some of the secondary we have, those guys really do respect what I put in uh, but still want to, you know, want to get better and still want to put the work in. So that's definitely refreshing and definitely uh, – I definitely respect it a ton. I think it's a special group. Logan Ryan, my guest. I love this conversation. I had a similar conversation, Logan, yesterday with Micah Hyde. And you guys are different guys, obviously, but kind of a a similar mindset that there's a right way of doing things. And it's a lifestyle. It's 24-7. It's 365. There is no offseason. you got to love the game. Be totally committed to it. I love having these conversations. Like, you also even went out to guys who came before you. You reached out to guys like Antrell Roll, Jason Seahorn, Corey Webster. What did you take away from connecting with them? Why did you spend time with them? First of all, I love Micah Hyde. I think we're similar players, and I love his career. And we came out the same year, and he's just—he's a beast. And what yeah, they do right? in Buffalo is really good. Yeah. Um, you know, it really came down to like we talked about that free agency. Um, I felt like what happened in my career is I came out of NFL. I came out of college, a really productive corner. I felt like I had a really all-American season, and I felt like I was snubbed a little bit in the draft process. I wasn't a great combine athlete, um, but I felt like I was a really good football player. And uh, I was kind of one of those guys that fell in that process. And they're like, oh, is he a corner? Is he a safety? So I played four years inside and outside corner for New England and made a lot of interceptions, led the team almost every year in interceptions, played outside corner, matched up with Hopkins, matched up with some of the best receivers in the game out there in New England. And you see a lot of corners in New England, bump and run, Gilmore, J.C. Jackson, there's a lot of success at cornerback at that position because you're trained every day in practice to go after it. And me and Malcolm Butler were – were that for a few years. And then I go to Tennessee. We bring Mal- Malcolm Butler, Dory Jackson. I bump into the slot, and I felt like I really thrived at that position. But I didn't, I didn't feel the money was being rewarded to those players. I feel like there's really dominant inside players like Tyron Matthews and Kenny Moore out in uh, Indy 
and guys who weren't rewarded, like what position does he play? And then I see that start to switch. And like Tyron Matthew moves to safety and Justin Simmons is a safety and Marcus May is a safety. And I see guys getting paid for versatility now. So I was like, I'm going to call me a safety. You know, call me a safety. I'm going to do that. I'm going to just be called a safety and just do what I do. And that can get me respect. And that can get me rewarded financially. Because that's where the game is going to, versatile DBs. And um, nine years ago, it wasn't like that. They didn't want you to be a versatile DB. They didn't want you to tackle. They wanted you to cover on the island like Revis. So I shifted that way. That's where the money was going. And I was like, you know what? I really need to learn how to play the safety position. I can't just call myself a safety. I really got to learn how to play it from the great that came before me um, and pay homage to those that came before me, like how I was raised in this league. So I reached out to all those guys, and I just said, hey, I'm an empty cup. Like, help me get production out here, too. Let me learn how you guys led the locker room. Let me learn how you had those great giant defenses, Jason Seahorn, Antrell Roll, Corey Webster. So I just really wanted to, you know, pay that respect as a modern-day athlete to the guys that came before me. They didn't know me. I didn't know them. Uh, so I really wanted to get their numbers and reach out, and they really – they really liked that I did that. They respected that. And I, would, I really wanted to be a part of our team and reach out to them because I feel like I want to, I want to teach our guys to play to that level. And you got to understand those who came before you. God, and respect that, those. that is so good. Logan Ryan joining us. I got to ask you, I, I don't know where time goes, but I used to have Jason Seahorn on this show quite a bit, Logan, back in the day. This show, my TV shows, whatever. Always a really yeah. different cat. Different cat. Fascinating guy. Amazing athlete. So what was it like to connect with him? What was his message? What's he up to? Uh, he's chilling, man. He's yeah. doing great things. I think he's widely, widely successful. He's a successful player. He's played corner. He's played safety. Um, he really just said, man, he was open book. Whatever I need, really, like, individually, like, f- for the game or, like, you know, preparation type stuff, um, he'll, definitely, he'll definitely spill his secrets in that. But I think running, man. I, I think that guys, like I said, the training is a little different nowadays than back then. Like, we have OTAs that we know all year. So we're in this thing all year kind of. But a lot of those former players that I'm learning about, and this is a secret for any young athlete listening, these guys run all year round. They run miles in the morning. They're putting, they're putting that, they're building that callus up on their body. And you know, NFL players aren't track athletes. We don't, we don't run distance. We run sprints. So I started run, incorporating some of that distance running and some of those miles. I learned that from Rondé Barber. Um, I learned that from Rod Woodson. I learned that from Carnell Lake. And I started doing that, and really my conditioning has gotten to a higher level later um, years of my career. And I'm trying to play over a thousand snaps a year. I'm not trying to come off the field. Like receivers come off the field, running backs come off the field. DBs don't come off the field. We got to cover that four, two guy, that fifth string receiver that they put in the game. Cause they're resting the starter. He still runs four, two. So we got to be able to cover those guys all day. So DBs got to run all day. And really I learned that's the key to durability is conditioning. So Really, the round-the-clock conditioning and preparation is where, really what I'm asking those guys. What are they doing in the off-season? Not what you do on Sundays. What do you do in the off-season to get ready for Sundays? And when we get closer to Sundays, I'll ask them more questions pertaining to that. But right now, it's really about their off-season regimen. So, Logan, it would seem like it's all football all the time, but that nothing could be further from the truth. You're committed now. You're dedicated now. That's obviously very clear, but you're also the founder of the Ryan Animal Rescue Foundation. And as people may remember, when other guys make showy entrances to training camp, you have arrived with puppies. And you're partnering yeah. with Jameson Humane for an auction right now that's going on. What is the prize package that you're involved with? What's that going? What's that all about? Yeah, Jameson Humane's out in Cali. Um, and they're hosting a great event. Um, 
part of wine uh, palooza. And two things I love is, is animals and wine. I love me a good red wine. So especially a lot of those out of California and the Napa area. So what they're doing is they're bringing two great things together, and they offer me the opportunity to present them a once-in-a-lifetime package that the ultimate Giants fan, the ultimate football fan can bid on. And all the proceeds will be split between my char- charity, RARF, which rescues, um, focuses on rescue animals, animals, dogs, and cats in shelters, and, and Jameson Humane. But really what the package is, the best I can think of, is check this, Jim. You're getting uh, first-class tickets wherever you are to fly to New York City for a weekend. You get a three-night stay at one of the top hotels in New York City. You get a private dinner with my wife and I in one of the top New York restaurants. You get tickets to a Giants game on Sunday. We're going to try to throw in, if possible, seeing what protocols COVID is. We're trying to throw in pregame passes and postgame passes. So you get to fly into the city, you get a free, a free hotel, you get a free dinner with one of the best New York chefs, you get to come to a Giants game before, during, and after the game, and you get to fly on out of there. Also, there's going to be some signed Logan Ryan merch, uh, signed Logan Ryan jersey, some RARF merch uh, for you in there as well. So really, that's just a unique experience. You know, during NFL season, we're pretty busy, but that's the best I could offer um, somebody who's never been to New York City, who may be a Giants fan or lives across the country, who may be a football fan or maybe an animal fan uh, who believes in rescue animals and believes in that cause. You get the opportunity to come in. If you're not even a Giants fan, you get to hang out in New York City and go catch a football game So with some pretty good seats. So I, I thought it was a cool thing to do, and all the proceeds, I don't make a dollar from it. All the proceeds go to my foundation and James Humane to help you know, animals in need. Look, so let me tell you win-win. something, man. That I hope, is, it, I that hope it, it goes for a lot of money. I hope a lot of people want it because I really put a lot into it, and I designed the package myself. Sorry to interrupt you. I want to jump in and say that that is an amazing package. That is a great, great, great package. If people want to bid, where do they go to do so? Yeah, so so you can check out any of my social media handles, Logan Ryan. I'm promoting this all over my Instagram, my Twitter, RARF, Instagram, Twitter. But then go to uh, www.wine, W-I-N-E-A, P-A-W-L-O-O-Z-A, winapalooza.com to really get in on the bidding. I think people are already bidding now. And then um, the live, there's a live auction that starts at Saturday at 5 p.m. Uh, Pacific time. You can register and, and bids can be all done ahead of time at winapalooza.com. But uh, really it's online. You don't have to be at the event. Um, but you go to winapalooza.com or any of my social media handles, I'll direct you there, swipe up links. Um, you're not going to be able to miss it. But if you want to get it on this package, a once-in-a-lifetime VIP package with me and my wife, New York City, dinner, Giants game, talk before and after about football, about animals. Um, it's all going for a good cause. Can't beat it, man. Good wine, first-class airfare accommodations, and a first-class experience. Logan Ryan, New York Giants DB, two-time Super Bowl champion, and a whole lot to it. My man, great job. Great to have you back. Good luck with all of that, and hopefully you and I can chop it up again soon. I appreciate it, Jim. Thanks for having me. Good night now!